0: Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by-
1: It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing extra special today because it's one of those few times I get to say, and joining me is- It's me, Stephen. Hello, Peter and Frank. Hi, Stephen. Stephen. Hello,
2: hello.
0: Tony Morgan today. (laughs) Tony Morgan today. Wow, jump right in. Yeah, we've interviewed you before, Stephen, For listeners who don't know, Stephen is part of the amazing team over at Team Covenant. And maybe if you want to give us a brief overview of what Team Covenant are about, that would be good just to ground us with why we've got you on the cast.
2: Sure. Well, thank you for calling us amazing. That that always means a lot. Those comments are, are very meaningful. Uh, so, we are a group of people who have been in the tabletop space for, I guess, 12, 12 and a half years now. Um, it's kind of a moving number because I'm very bad with dates. Uh, and also, time <laughs> advances, right? So, it does get yeah. bigger over time. But what we set out to do is, is, basically, we looked at the industry and we grew up in it as kids. Zach and I are kind of essentially the co-founders, though he really started the, the business. And we grew up when we were very young learned Pokemon, the trading card game together. We were like eight or nine, and uh, we became friends through that. That became a big part of our lives together. And then once we got to college and kind of after that, we decided, you know what, everything that's been happening in our experience in this industry has been underwhelming to the max, uh, and seemingly for no reason, everything from like plastic tables and chairs to... Shopkeepers that don't care about anything on the local store side to like online stores that are faceless warehouses that don't actually care about the hobby, you know, just moving commodity goods. Mm-hmm. All that kind of coalesced into a, a driving desire to say, you know what, like this should be respected more. It, in, in a way, it should be revered. It's one of the most essential, you know, human activities that we have together. Mm-hmm. It's been around for thousands of years. It's been a connecting point for people of different backgrounds. Uh, different you know belief systems, et cetera, so we thought it was a really important thing for people to do uh, together and set out to to make that achievable for all types of people um, and not just kind of those in the underground that that can make it through to the the kind of the local game store and figure out how this all works. so we opened a retail store we we started an online uh, website and store with content and uh, selling Spoils singles in the very beginning. Uh, so we started the website a couple years later. We did the local store, and we've been here ever since. And so now we're really into the Fantasy Flight Games uh, products. So we got into the LCGs pretty early, uh, and that has been uh, the driver of our subscription service, which is kind of what we've invested a lot of our time and energy in uh, here over the past four or five years. And then we also make custom components, uh, not the least of which are the Mythos line for Arkham Horror, the card game. And mm, yeah. uh, we're continuing to to move forward and and have big plans. We're continuing to refine our local store experience here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, continue to refine our online experience launched a new website this year and have a lot of big plans coming up in 2020 so honestly we we just care about this uh, again this word revered comes to mind just revered experience especially now that all this digital kind of isolation is happening i think it's just so mm-hmm. important that we all get back to the table in some form or another and games happen to be a really good uh, avenue for that
0: yeah, that there is some kind of covenant between people when they sit down together and play a game together.
2: Yeah. Even if it's undiscussed. That's absolutely true, and it had nothing to do with the naming convention, which <laughs> which was entirely the uh, brainchild of two 13-year-old boys thinking that uh, Covenant sounded like a cool name for our traveling Star Wars trading card game team uh, and stuck with it from there. But yes, I agree. I, I think we could, can and should work that in maybe a little bit more to kind of the branding of what we do. It's just kind of hard to say Covenant without it sounding a little... A little weird, you know. So maybe that's not great for our business, but I, I do I do respect that it means something very important, uh, and that that is shared across the table for sure.
1: And we talked a bit when we did our previous interview with you, I think, about this the idea of what you were offering beyond yeah. you know just buying your stuff off Amazon or or whatever. So that if people want to hear more of your thoughts on that, go back and listen to that interview because that was was a really interesting conversation we had then.
2: Yeah, I, th- I remember that being a, a great cast. I I think you guys are very thoughtful hosts, and I uh, just appreciate you inviting me on. So uh, thanks. Yeah, you should go back and listen to that cast too.
0: Uh, it was enjoyable. <laughs> well, we'll keep inviting you on if you keep complimenting <laughs> my cast that, Stephen, you know Roll us over and rub us on our tummies. This is great. That's right. Yeah.
2: Hey, I, I, That's really how a lot of things work. You uh, be nice yeah. to people who you appreciate and value, and then uh, good things continue to happen. So I, I plan to keep doing that.
1: And honestly, I I talked to a friend, uh, I said to a friend, a a long-term Netrunner friend of mine that I was going to be chatting to you today, and he said exactly the same as my thoughts, that that Team Covenant and and you, Stephen, were a big part of our early um, entry into that community online as well, because you put up, like, you had the the videos you did, the, Mm -hmm. the commentary you did. One of my favorite series was where you did the... I don't know what you called it fight night or something where yeah you... we did that was old content yeah yeah it was all order and chaos you did the the factions against each other uh-huh
2: mm, yeah wow.
0: that feels like a blast from the past
2: we were on a wild tear back then that's kind of the that's kind of the exploration phase of covenants content <laughs> and there was a lot of great ideas there it, the problem as you guys probably know more than anyone is a lot of great ideas do not have the yield for the time invested, um, you know, so yeah. for those video series, you're looking at 60 to 80 hours, at least of production time. And it's like, I, I mean, is that ever possibly worth it? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, cause like we're also, it, it's been such an interesting journey to balance what we want to do with the reality of running a business and, and having the money there to do it um, and making the right bets. You know, when you're playing Arkham, it's somewhere you, you have to balance your time versus what you're going to spend versus the time it takes to make that money back so you can spend it on other things. And so I always say that running a business, especially a business like Covenant, is very much like playing one of these games. You're, you're managing the same mm-hmm. variables. It's just a little bit bigger and it actually means a lot more because if you do it wrong, you just you suffer. So
1: rather <laughs> than yeah. just losing. yeah. yeah. So this is obviously why you folks are doing so well, being all absolute experts at card games.
2: That's right. I mean, <laughs> I, I hope so, and vice versa, uh, hopefully. But I, I have found that a lot of the skills are very transferable.
0: So how does Arkham fit into the Team Covenant business? Because it seems like you guys are doing well. Does How much does Arkham contribute to what you're doing and, and that kind of thing?
2: Arkham is huge. I, it's huge for us. Um, It's a game, it's the first game that really took off in a very notable way for subscriptions. And I think there's a lot of good reasons for that. I mean, one is it's just the perfect fit for the subscription service. If you're going to automatically receive every product that comes out for a game, it's hard to imagine a better game than Arkham for that exact Mm -hmm. model. Because every new pack is a new scenario. You probably want to collect all of those scenarios to play through an entire campaign. You're also getting new player cards in every pack. So you probably want to collect all of those as you go along. So especially because we had subscriptions really in a good place before Arkham started, we were able to kind of get it out there early and say, rather than pre-ordering and wasting time and putting money down Mm -hmm. and all of that, just sign up. We'll send you all these products automatically. We know that you want them. And then once somebody signs up, they stick around. I mean the the steadiness of the Arkham player base, especially as it relates to subscriptions, which is a very relevant number that we have to say, like, okay, how, you know, what if this subscription has, you know, let's say five people, and this subscription has ten people? That's kind of a relative idea that we have for a player base, mm-hmm. especially among games that are similar, so that there's not a lot of difference between why why we would have a lot of subscribers here but not there. Uh, but Arkham, it, it's not like one of these games that it comes out and there's a bunch of players and a bunch of subscribers and they all drop off in the first year. It's very much like years and years of steady, steady, similar numbers all, all throughout all of these cycles. And so I think it's just going to run forever. I mean, <laughs> that's our hope. It's one of the most consistent things that contributes to our bottom line as a business. And we're supremely thankful for all of the Arkham players out there who are subscribed. And just the existence of this game, which I think really proved the LCG model, could work on the long term uh, more than anything. Maybe second to Lord of the Rings.
1: but It's an interesting one because we've seen, I don't know whether it's a consolidation of the, the competitive LCGs, because we've seen Game of Thrones as entering end of life now as well, is it? Did I hear that? Mm. Yes, that is correct, yeah. So competitive LCGs, we've got L5R, and mm-hmm. that's it. And, and I mean, and Keyforge as well, which which is a competitive card game, but not an LCG. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. One of the theories I've had, and I don't know whether this is backed up, it's not backed up by any research I've done, whether there's a more limited pool of competitive players, and by having multiple competitive LCGs, you're, you're kind of splitting up the same pie into more slices. Yeah,
2: that's. That's a good conversation to have. Same with the cooperative games right? with Lord of the Rings and then um, Arkham and now Marvel Champions. You, you, It's a good question to ask there. But on the competitive side, I think you see it decline because it's realizing the limitations of the model. I mean, so the problem with competitive LCGs is, is you don't quite have enough excitement per release to keep people really excited over time and competitive games rely a little bit more heavily on that level of excitement being high because to make a competitive game successful you have to have other players wanting to play it and you have Mm -hmm. to have them wanting to play it with different and unique and diverse decks so that you don't just clash against the exact same thing over and over so you have to shake up the meta game consistently in order to give new experiences to players of the game but then on the back end of that once you get two years into a competitive lcg players yeah, you can't get in. Uh, like yeah. you, it's a nobody's gonna be like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll spend my three or four hundred bucks to get all of the cards that I need, including the, the triple core sets and all of that, just so that I can start playing and then have to continue buying over time. Which is a lot different from, I mean, the reason that collectible games do well here is because you can pick up three packs and do a draft or a, a sealed event and not have any collection to speak of whatsoever and still play, and have a new experience, have an interesting experience. Mm -hmm. So the competitive LCGs kind of found, to me, a lot of the reasons that people settled on the collectible model or the randomized model, and the cooperative versions of these games eliminate all of those problems. If I want to start playing Arkham right now, I can pick up a core set and a cycle, and I'm not behind. Like I'm just exploring the story at the pace that I want to. All their releases stay relevant until the end of time, unlike a lot of competitive LCGs where there might be cards that don't matter as much anymore because scenarios are in everything that you're buying. And then they also don't need a fevered pitch of excitement because I think a lot of us get together once, maybe twice a month, run through a couple of scenarios, three or four, continue a campaign, and then meet again. And the excitement is from getting together together and playing through a campaign with a character that we've built, rather than necessarily needing new cards to have arrived uh, so that our opponents can build new and exciting decks that challenge us in different ways. Um, So because the enemies are static and the story is ever-evolving, you don't need Arkham to be at a fevered pitch of excitement uh, for it to be relevant. And I think that's a really significant breakthrough and difference in the cooperative and competitive space.
1: I'm just nodding along, Stephen, because I, c- I couldn't agree with you more on all of this. And doing the, the podcast has really opened my eyes to the different kinds of player who play Arkham. I mean, we Frank and I have run events, uh, I've run a couple of events, and you meet people at all those events, where, where normally you'd be, you know, if it was a competitive game, you'd have the hardcore tournament people there. Mm-hmm. It, when we do events, there's so many people who, you know, who have never played with strangers before, have never, sometimes never played with other people before.
2: Yeah absolutely o- only
1: played with their their partner or one of their one of their children or something like that around the kitchen table mm. so it's yeah. it's really it's bringing in a different audience
2: yeah and i think that's another reason that subscriptions for us do so well is because this is not first of all you're not going to find a lot of local stores that are like ah oh, arkham is the key to my business right so
0: <laughs> yeah so if yeah. you
2: walk into your local game store you know the chances of you finding every pack ready to go that you can walk in and buy the next one that you need is very low and also you don't need to go find new players over and over over time to get a new experience that's the game is bringing you that so you can stay with the same two or three friends that you play with it's more like a board game group in that way. And you can buy your products online or through the subscription or, you know, however it is that they're available and, and easiest to get. And, you know, it's a kitchen table experience. I mean, I we have the game store here. We have our store here in Tulsa. I still play at the house of one of my friends because it's just like that environment is very conducive to Arkham. We can relax you know we can uh, sit there and, and have some good food some good drinks and uh, you know explore a story together and I, I think that Arkham has some very unique
0: advantages um, as a model in that kind of a way mm. I'm thinking of all the emotions you touched on there the contrast between competitive and uh, cooperative. I saw that there was a new player just today on one of the Arkham discord channels who just bought the corset and the first deluxe yeah. And my feeling towards that person was one of excitement for them. You've got so much; <laughs> it's, like, it's great. You've got so much to discover. You're going to be in. For... And and I was comparing that feeling that of back when I was playing competitive games. More when a new player turns up, there's that for me. There's that feeling of slightly of sympathy for them that they're going to get smashed for a while. It's so true. You know, it's like you're just. It, this is not you know, and certainly the way I like to play uh, Netrunner. Say is I would play corset only with a new player. Just to make sure that the playing field was at least a little bit level, but it was still massively uneven because I knew all the cards and this new player didn't. And they'd play a few games and they'd be like, wow, you keep hitting me with that toll booth or whatever it is. It's (laughs) like, well, yeah, because I know that you're going to run here in a turn's time because you're not finding anything in my hand. So I put toll booth, you know, whatever it is. Absolutely. And so there's like, there's all of these, um, broadly speaking, negative emotions around getting involved in a competitive game. Mm-hmm. Even if you are you love it and you're excited by it and you love the challenge of it, just buying in late can be really intimidating in that way. And for Arkham, yeah, I think it can still be intimidating to buy in late, but there's not players out there who are going to crush you on your path to filling out your collection or things
1: yeah, like that.
2: It's absolutely true. Yeah, and, and the competitive LCG, I think, have fully realized this. And honestly, I think Keyforge probably was a response to that. Yeah. Uh, c- I was about to bring
1: Key, up Keyforge as well, actually.
2: It's about as perfect of a competitive game that you can imagine that wouldn't suffer from all of the problems of the c- competitive LCGs and would try to eliminate or limit some of the problems of the competitive uh, collectible card games. Without losing a lot of the appeal that the collectibles bring, and same with the LCGs as well. So it's trying to find that perfect middle ground. I think they've done a really good job uh, mm-hmm. because you know, like I play Call of the Archons Keyforge. You know, buy probably ten to twelve decks, have a good time with it, play it very casually. Um, generally, the way that I play it is we've got like twenty decks here. Let's choose two at random, play them together, put them back in the pile. Yeah. Uh, so it's more like a cube draft almost. And then I don't, mm. I don't really touch Age of Ascension. I play a couple of games. I maybe pick up one or two decks. And now uh, World's Collide is coming out, the third set. There's some new houses. I'm going to be able to walk in and pick up one or two decks, play with everybody, uh, whether it's uh, locally here or casually. Or my brother, who's got a box uh, actually sitting on his desk right over there. <laughs> he just had a baby, so he's he's not playing KeyForge for a little little while.
0: <laughs> oh no! He's bought himself a box of decks to celebrate. Yes, the, he actually a <laughs> child.
2: He has a KeyForge subscription, which is really cool. So um, you know, he just gets twelve decks every time a new set comes out, and and he opens those and plays them with his wife. They just stay at home and do that. And then you know, six months later, a new one shows up. But you know, I can jump right back into KeyForge. There's not this massive backlog of things I've got to collect to to be relevant mm-hmm. again. I can buy one sealed deck. I can play in a tournament that everybody has a random deck. So I get that limited format that can happen. I can also try to choose my favorite deck. So it's kind of that constructed feel where I can come in with something that I genuinely care about. And I think that is something unique to me and I can bring that in and see if it's better or worse than what you've done. And you know, it's just kind of all of those different factors. They've done a pretty good job of trying to eliminate a lot of the pain points. Uh, and mm, yeah, I think what we're seeing with keyforge is. Because it's so easy to have learned the game once and get back in whenever the moment strikes you or the set is right, you have players that are essentially just on the back burner and then all of a sudden can spike into the game whenever they want and then can go back to kind of back burner, casual, do something else. And then when a new set comes out, they can come raging back
1: in. I think I've played, would we play about two or three games of KeyForge, Frank? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't many and it was way back sort of beginning of this year but i could pick up a deck tomorrow and pretty much remember how to play so yeah, if, yeah. if if you know if one of my friends grabs a deck i could be like well i'll get one as well it's only 10 quid or whatever 12 quid and then i can have a game of it that's it
0: and for ffg to make money they need to be a, you need to have some reason to buy a deck and that's it needs to be cheap enough and accessible enough that you go oh yeah i'll just buy a deck yeah otherwise you're kind of you're stuck and they seem to have f- Seem to have hit the price point right. I'm not seeing too many people complaining, like "oh, decks are so expensive." It's the buy-in is so great for this game; it doesn't feel like that's been a complaint. Maybe for the competitive players who are really, you know, buying close to a hundred decks to find the deck they want, maybe that is a problem. But I've not seen it. Yeah, at all.
2: I don't think so. I, I, I've never heard any critique on the price, really at all. I mean, it, you know, if you want to, if you want to do anything like to its maximum limit then you're just an outlier, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, a thousand of anything at any price is going to be more expensive than you want it to be. <laughs> but you yeah, know, that yeah. that's cause you're, you know, you're on the extreme end of the bell curve on one of the ends, which is a, a fine place yeah. to be if that's where you want to be. But um I, you know, that's not representative of, I think what most of us are doing is buying 12 or less decks every set. And I think that would
0: be on the high end
2: of mm. most key forge players.
0: Uh, this weekend, I have three friends coming over. We have a Worlds Collide box, you know, 12 decks. So good. We're sharing the decks, so we're getting three each. We're cracking open all the decks. We'll do a mini tournament. Yes. So you, you crack open a deck, you play play it three times, once against each of the other people, and then you all open another deck and you do it again. Yeah, it's perfect. And it's like, we've done it for each set so far. It's a really fun day. You get, like, so much excitement about what your decks contain. And And then that works for us. those decks for me go on my shelf, and maybe I play them at a casual night sometime, but not very much. Otherwise. yeah, that's perfect.
2: That's exactly what the format allows. I mean it's it's pretty remarkable that it you can do that with a game like KeyForge. I think it's I think mm-hmm. it's only now probably fully realizing, and the industry is probably fully mm-hmm. realizing how significant that model is.
1: Stephen, speaking of that, you folks are the experts on this, so you'll probably know better than me. But am I right well, in thinking that some of the expansions for Marvel LCG, they're, they're like a deck in a box? Is that right?
2: Yeah, so and to put it in Arkham terms, it'd be like you could buy an investigator with a fully built deck attached. But then you could take those cards, let's say, you know, you can buy a Tony Morgan deck, and it has all the rogue cards that you can play Tony Morgan right out of the box. But then you can also take those rogue cards and put them in any other rogue deck. So That's essentially what they're doing with Marvel Champions. So Captain America, for instance, in in Champions, you choose one of the four aspects. So, you know, leadership, protection, etc. So Captain America comes out as an expansion with Captain America and the 15 signature cards that you can't change. So that's like the core of Captain America. Then the rest of the cards will be uh, leadership, and then that's your deck. So you can grab Captain America off the shelf crack it open, you have a fully legal Captain America deck ready to go. And then you can also take those leadership cards, put them in your box, and use them when you're deck building for any other hero in the leadership aspect.
1: Right. Um, so if
2: I want to play Spider-Man leadership, now I can take all of Captain America's leadership cards and they act as essentially, you know, choosable cards when I'm in deck building.
1: You can even put one of the other... So I guess the core set comes with half a deck worth of all of those those faction cards, right?
2: Yeah, so you, you can build four decks out of the core set. They did a really good job of basically saying here's five heroes and four aspect card pools. And if you take one of these heroes with their 15 signature cards, you combine them with all of the cards of one aspect and a few neutral cards, you're basically there. I mean that's like a fully functioning deck. Mm. So you can build four fully playable decks right out of the single core set as long as you don't need three of a certain neutral, I think there's like, basically they designed it where if you take one of every neutral card in the core set, all of the aspect cards and then the heroes cards, that's one fully functioning deck and you get four of every neutral. So basically you have one of every neutral card in the core set and then as long as you're not like, you know, and you don't really need to, honestly, like there's like a card haymaker, pay two, do three damage. If you're like, I want three of those, then, you know, there's only one left out of that core set card pool so your your buddies don't get any more so like if you're really fastidious in your deck building and you want to have a bunch of super optimized decks because you want all <laughs> these you know a couple of these neutral cards at higher quantities you can buy two or three core sets but it's really not not worth doing so one core set four fully playables and then yeah the cool thing is like you can take any hero you take their signature cards and choose one of the four aspects so any hero can play in any aspect Uh, which is quite different from a game like Arkham where Tony Morgan is a survivor and has deck building Mm -hmm. rules that do bring in some very unique deck building opportunities. But it'd be like if you could take Tony Morgan with 10 cards that make Tony Morgan like what Tony Morgan's all about, like the guns and the bounties, and then you could pair that with any of the uh, classes in Arkham. So you could make him a guardian, you could make him a survivor, you could make him all the ones that I won't play seeker. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and the, the the progression is really fascinating to me here because for Lord of the Rings LCG, you had individual heroes that had no cards dictated in your deck right. based on the heroes you picked. And obviously you would choose heroes from the same sphere, I think, because their resources can play for those cards. Yep. But you, I mean, in theory, you could build three tactics heroes and put no tactics card in your deck if you were insane. Yes, you, you could, could do, do that. that. Then you get go to Arkham Horror, where every investigator comes with two to five signature cards that have to go in their deck. But other than that, the majority of your deck is really your choice. And yes, they have deck building rules that they kind of control that. But I could build a Roland deck and you could build a Roland deck and we could include at this point in the game 30 completely different cards from each other, potentially. Yep. And the only thing that would be the same is Roland and his signatures. That- so that's... Striking to me. And then you get to Marvel where a third of your deck is
1: dictated for you. So it seems like the deck building options are reducing. Well, I think Conquest did something relatively similar. I think, I want to say it was 15 cards in Conquest. You had like they a, did. A, a hero. I, I don't know and...
2: if it was. And I, I can't remember if it was that many. It was like they had the unique, uh, like a cut like five or six of their unique troops yeah. and then like their location and then their support thing. And I think you're right. Though. I think it was like 12, 12 to 15. Yeah, maybe. I want to say eight. I think eight maybe was right. was it, it was eight because I think eight, it fit ten. on
1: a binder yeah. page, I think, uh, okay. Might,
0: maybe. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think it was eight. That sounds right. We'll agree. <laughs> so they've been dabbling with this as an idea where your choice of character, whether that's investigator, hero, champion, has some kind of impact on deck building. And I'm not sure if, Because Marvel Champions is going for a much wider audience, they're just trying to simplify even more. Or if it's that they really want to hammer home that feeling of theme. Yeah. Uh, You know, one of the things that Peter and I end up talking about is that there are certain player cards in Arkham that are just perfect fits for certain investigators. Mm -hmm. And even though they're not that investigator's signatures, we're pretty sure that Matt designed them with a particular investigator in mind. Yeah, They're just a really good fit for that investigator. Um, you know, like True Survivor in Silas, to to use an example that I reckon you'll get, Stephen. You know, True Survivor in Silas, you can get three innate cards back from your discard pile. Broadly speaking, people pan that card, but Silas is all about playing with innate, so it works pretty well for him. Yeah, you know, yeah, so.
2: absolutely. I think what they're doing with champions is definitely playing, they're building up these heroes as very definite play styles and giving them like, The flavor that makes sure that no matter what other cards you include, you're always feeling like Spider-Man or you're always feeling like Iron Man. And so once you have that core, basically, as long as you have these signature cards that are synergistic among themselves and with your hero, then you can really explore pretty broadly on how you want to support those cards through the various aspects without feeling a lot of pressure to, like, fix problems that your hero has or, like, you know, like like you could really screw it up. I, I think in Marvel Champions, it'd be very hard to really screw up a deck. Uh, and that, there's a lot of freedom to that uh, in in some ways, because I can go do weird off-the-wall things and still have a, a heartbeat of a deck that is going to function regardless of how much I, like, make bad decisions in deck building because I love theme. So there's something nice to that, too, where you, you go into a game and you kind of know that Even if I'm trying to do something really strange and weird and fun, you know, Iron Man's still going to get Repulsor Blast. Spider-Man's still got a swinging web kick. I'm always going to be able to do some very fundamental things that are going to make that hero feel like
1: they're contributing to the the outcome. It's just like knocking down those barriers for new players, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is doing that. And then it also, I think if you look at the progression like you, you have been, while you get less deck-building options in terms of card slots as compared to a game like uh, Arkham, where like you're in a specific faction and you only have a few signature cards that are, are definite, you do have a lot more definite cards in Marvel Champions, but you can take that hero and put them in any faction that you want. Mm-hmm. So by year two, year, year one, year two, a Captain America build could be in any of the four aspects And then within those four aspects could be built a myriad of different ways and still feel like Captain America because of the signature cards. So there's a lot of freedom there too. I really like that, uh, you know, you'll, especially Arkham fans listening will will understand this more than anyone. You kind of need in Arkham somebody who's really good at getting clues. Like you can, you can try to get around that, but the fundamental win condition of the game is not going to be achievable without somebody who's very good at getting clues. Now... If I want to get clues, I generally am looking at a Seeker. And so my, mm-hmm. my choices go down to one faction, right? Whereas in Marvel Champions, if I need somebody to do damage, let's say I, I really, you know, that's the win condition of that game. We need somebody who's very good at doing a lot of damage. Any of the heroes can fill that role, right? Like I can put the aggression aspect with Spider-Man or Captain Marvel or She-Hulk or Iron Man and or even Black Panther, you know, and they all do it a little bit differently. And all of their signature cards have some amount of synergy with each of the aspects. So I can play my favorite hero and still fill whatever role the table needs me to fill, uh, which is nice. It's kind of liberating. Like Silas, for instance, if I wanted to... Uh, if I just love Silas, and I just want to play Silas every time I play Arkham. <laughs> like, I don't always have the freedom to say, like, all right, Silas is going to be, like, our main clue gatherer, or, you know? So mm. it, your, your ability to, to have one hero that you really love and to build any number of ways over the next three years, only playing Iron Man, but always filling the role that needs to be filled, I think is a really big strength of the game.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think as Arkham has developed, there've been more options for clues across the factions, but I think think you're completely right that it's only really in four player where you can say i'm going to play silas and i'm going to dedicate myself to clues and you have enough other players to say okay well we'll carry the load of energy uh, enemy management and things like that and yep. we'll kind of we'll pick up on that i want to go back to what you mentioned about the hero packs in marvel uh, if you had to pick one which is more appealing to you the, the mythos pack model of scenario and player cards or this sort of separate hero and scenario pack model in Marvel? Yeah, that's a, question. That's a, really, that's a really good question. Um, and you have to decide right now <laughs> and your, <laughs> your answer will be set in
2: stone. So there's, there is no denying the power of a new player either shopping around or walking into, like, our store here in Tulsa, seeing a wall of all their favorite superheroes and somebody being able to say, hey, are you new to Marvel Champions? Yes. Choose your favorite here on that wall. It's 15 bucks and come join us for a game. Yeah. Like the power of that is extremely hard to argue with. Now, I don't know if it would work well in Arkham, just thinking through, you know, kind of the, the way that distribution goes in the, in the game. Because, well, maybe I, maybe it would. Maybe it would, like, if I could just, you know, pick up. And the fact the fact that every one of those heroes also gives you cards to use with any other hero Mm, is very relevant, too. And I think they have one from every other aspect at the very tail end of the the card pool in that deck, too. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see. I I think that you can't deny how powerful it is to grab something off a wall and start playing right now. Yeah. That eliminates a lot of the barriers that are going to keep people out of even a a
0: foray into a deck construction-style game and kind of, Peter has mentioned this to me a couple of times, in fact. It's the same thing as Keyforge. You, you turn up with your friends and someone says, oh, we're playing Marvel Champions tonight. You can, you can buy a deck immediately and be involved in that in the way that you just can't with other games. In the way that, you know, even going back to Netrunner, you couldn't, unless someone has built a second deck to give you, you
1: couldn't just grab a runner deck. There wasn't such a thing that yeah. you could just get off the wall and... And, and in. in fact, you know, if, because it's Marvel, because of the IP... You can say to someone, pick your favorite character. And that always yeah. gives them a heads up or a head start on how to play that character. So you're saying, oh, you know, mm-hmm. here's Iron Man. What you want to do is build your suit. Level's everyone's like, right, well, I know what I'm doing then. I'm finding yeah. the bits of yeah. my suit and I'm, I'm setting them up.
2: <laughs> now, here's, here's the question, though, on, on that front. I mean, something I've considered is would, would Arkham be better served as a deluxe expansion is just the entire cycle of scenarios it's just enemy cards and scenarios and then the monthly releases are player cards in the form of in this case a new investigator with new cards mm. uh, and maybe a couple of cards for every class so that there's a reason you know to continue to pick it up i think there's a lot of business sense in that for ffg one of the checkpoints of any release that that you should probably have on the on the whiteboard is is this relevant to the entire player base because the moment that you're not doing that, you have tremendously compromised your just the financials of what you're doing, of production.
1: Yeah.
2: Like miniatures games run into this all the time where it's like we have seven factions and you can only play one faction. And yeah. the vast majority of people only play one faction. And so one seventh of all of the time and energy and, and production that goes into their entire line of models, only a seventh of your player base in the best of times is interested in that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like,
2: yeah. I, as, as a business, you just got, you cannot do that. That's why we see even Crisis Protocol is moving into a, a scenario here where you can play villains and heroes. You can construct your force in any way that you want. And then also they're including team tactic cards and uh, like scenario cards in every release to make it relevant to every player, right? Uh, tier is doing this as well.
0: Yeah this this sat really uncomfortably with me for L5R that they wanted to encourage clan loyalty mm-hmm. but their clan deluxe expansions included cards for the other clans yeah mostly they weren't so but like I felt like there was just a tension there between saying support your clan only play crab only buy all the packs for the crab cards but then saying oh but if you're a phoenix player you probably want to buy this crab deluxe even though you don't Sounds like sushi now, even though you don't play the Crab Clan at all because it's got two Phoenix cards in it. Yeah, and, and I, that made me feel really uncomfortable. Like, not that I've played much Elf Five R at all. I haven't, haven't bought any of it, but I just thought, on the one hand, you're saying like the the miniatures idea you said, pick a faction, and on the other hand, you're saying, yeah, but every release sort of has something for you yeah and you've got to make money i suppose like it, i think it's a financially motivated decision
2: but as the price point gets higher it just sits poorer and poorer with the player base like the best example of this is like the huge ships i think it was in x-wing and like mm. the huge ship expansions were like 100 bucks yeah. and they had like three upgrade cards that you could use very good upgrade cards that you could only get there that you could use on your normal x-wing games yeah i, I
1: remember this and even buying I don't know whether it was the fact it was a miniatures game, but when I was I had to buy oh what is it, Prince, whatever he's called. I had to buy that to get one card I needed and then try and find someone else who wanted to buy this model for me because I didn't pay the faction.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's and that's just that's just wrong. Like that's that's retroactively trying to fix a problem that you created whenever you designed how this game was going to both play, be built, and be distributed. So you mm-hmm. can't just throw one or two valuable things in a big package that nobody wants and say, this is how we're gonna make money as a business, that's crazy. Uh, but what you can do is something like uh, like Marvel Champions, I think is a great example of this, is we have designed from the very beginning to have a model that releases things that are at reasonable price points, that are relevant to every player, but not necessary for every player, and that also onboard new players instantly so you can see the benefit of this model kind of throughout what everyone's doing now you know if i only want to play protection and captain america comes with all these leadership cards and one protection card that i want that's still a little weird i mean that yeah you know that still yeah. feels a little awkward but it's not quite as bad as kind of yeah putting that hail mary out there at the hundred dollar
0: model and saying yeah now everybody wants this right and the game isn't saying you can't play Black Panther. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So you could always use protection.
1: The, the hero, no matter what the other cards. So if you have one protection card, you know, and yeah. Captain yeah. America comes with leadership, you can still play a, le- a protection Captain America, can't you?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I also think that the game is trying to get people to... In the best of worlds, you have four players Each one of them is committed to one aspect and everybody, you know, you just split the cost of every expansion and distribute the cards. So for us, Zach would get all the, you know, leadership cards. I'd get all the protection cards. Jonathan gets all the aggression cards. And in that way, like, we're always building the same aspect. We can choose whatever hero we want before we come into a game. And the cost is so low if you have four people that can split that across, you know, uh, one release
0: every month. Yeah, yeah. I'd be really interested to touch back in with you in a year's time and see what sales have been like for Marvel Champions compared to Arkham. Yeah. Given that Arkham is a steady seller. And particularly with a view to the the idea of this different model, that in theory I could buy the Champions box set and love the heroes in it and not want to buy any other... You know, maybe I'm crazy about Captain Marvel, which is kind of true. And maybe I don't want any other heroes, but I do want lots more scenarios. And so, if if it was the Arkham model, I'd still be committing to buying a lot of player cards along the route. But I just want to play new scenarios. Whereas in the Marvel model, I don't necessarily need to do that. And I'm yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what impact it it has in the future on LCGs more generally. It'd be really interesting to know how they sell comparatively. Um, obviously, taking into account <laughs> the, that the one biggest IP in the world at the moment, <laughs> vastly better known than the other. Yeah. 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 Well, I'd, yeah, I'd yeah. be happy to do that. God willing, I'll be here in a year
2: and uh, yeah. we can do yeah. that. I'm sure FFG is very curious as well. I'm sure
0: they're holding on and, and hoping for the best. The other thing I'd say, just a small point, when people wonder about how well Keyforge is done, as far as I'm aware, Keyforge sold a million decks Oh, easily. There's like, like one, that we know of. There's like and a that's ten and a million dollars. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that ten million dollars has paid for the Marvel license to a certain extent. Oh, at sure. At least a portion of that. Like the reason we have Marvel Champions LCG to a certain extent is because KeyForge did well. <laughs> like I think if KeyForge had completely tanked, we might not have seen what we're seeing now from FFG.
2: Yeah, I, that's totally fair. And and my hope is that we see more of the unique. That game aspect honestly i just hope that they i think this is just a step forward for the industry and publishers in general is stop designing brand new systems for everything
0: yeah can you imagine the KeyForge forge system on an android netrunner style game
2: I, it's hard, so yes, I can imagine that I get essentially a a random deck that there is no essentially runner card, or maybe that's a separate thing, mm-hmm. but like I'm the runner, like me playing the deck is yeah. the runner, and I get a random assortment of hardware and icebreakers and you know, it's, it's, I always have a barrier breaker, I always have a code gate breaker, you know, it's like have yeah. the, the algorithm controls for it, and then I have events and resources, and I think it would be phenomenal to feel like you are entering A random runner in this post, you know, sci fi kind of world who's just trying to make their mark. And like, you have to figure out how best to use the tools at your disposal instead of creating this perfectly efficient and optimized machine, which I think is more reminiscent of actual hacker reality. It's like, you don't always have the best tools. You don't always have things go your way. You've got to figure it out. And same with the corp. Like, how cool is it to just like, You've got random defense systems and ice and, you know, credits and all of these different things. And you're having to piece together with the things in my hand and the things in my deck that is also random. Like I'm getting, you know, essentially I'm getting instructions from the CEO who's <laughs> seven levels up. Yeah. Like, hey, stop this. And I'm like trying to use everything I've got and I'm making phone calls and I'm trying to stop this hack. Uh, I think it could work brilliantly. I, I see it. I could see it working with. A vast majority of especially the competitive lcgs that have uh since uh, not you know gone away game of Thrones is a great example of this too
1: yeah i've, I've kicked around a few times i've even chatted to some of the, the mythos busters guys about about this what how could you do a draft version of arkham and, and get get that feeling of having to mm-hmm. improvise i mean just play survivor is obviously the the smart ass answer to that. <laughs> yeah. Or just <laughs> yeah. let me build all your decks and I'll give you what it's like to, to improvise on the fly. And Steven's have you dried, um, yeah. Patrice from the new box yeah. yet, Steven.
2: No, okay. So actually, I- is she the one that draws at the end of the turn? That's right, yes. Like, yeah. If she draws. Yeah. No, Patrice is the kind of investigator that I look at and it just scares me because <laughs> it's like, it's, it's so different from the norm that yeah. I. I get nervous. It's the same with the the painter where you, you can uh, choose Stephina. and the one the one where you can choose all these different oh it's so strange. You you like morph into <laughs> different things. The actress, I think it is. That kind of stuff, yeah. I just don't touch that stuff. I, I just want to shoot yeah. or I want to gather clues. I don't wanna like <laughs> I don't want to manage <laughs> a lot of other things. But I think that Patrice is incredibly good. Like, it's yeah. obvious that this is going to be an incredible investigator. I'm just mm-hmm. not the right person to
1: make that sing. She really stresses. I think for a lot of people, maybe who've come from the board game background, when card game players see Patrice, their, their tops of their head pop off, and they're like, you get five free draws every turn. Yeah. <laughs> this is incredible. A lot of people, they struggle with that idea of the cards in your hand are just there to be used. And, you know, yeah. they go in the bin. Drawing more of them is, is great. And she combines both of those things. So pitching those in for tests, for icons on every test, uh, and then getting five more at the end of the turn really hammers home some of the key points about card games. She is really good. I've played her a few times now. I didn't think I was a dogmatic
0: player, but I found her deeply unsettling <laughs> because th- what, what it made me realise is that, that I had, I had like built, I'd attached value to cards that I didn't realise they'd attached value to. So, like, I draw a look what I found. and I'm like, oh, yes, I can get clues. And then as the the end of the turn is approaching, I'm like, it's going. I'm losing it already. <laughs> I should have used it now. You know, so just that, like, oh, this is a card that I'll hang on to you in, in a bit. That feeling of um, impermanence I found really unsettling. And then I was thinking, wow, am I actually a really rigid player where I like to know what's in my hand and I like to control it? You know, and I was thinking... You know, we we often mention Silas with you, Stephen. But one of the things I love about Silas is how much cards jump in and out of his hand. Yeah. So it's not like I'm not a fan of those kind of tricksy investigators. But yeah, Patrice, man.
1: So when when someone on your team looks at you and, and they're like, "Well, we need to this this we need to do a thing this turn," Patrice, can you get some clues? And you look at your hand, and you look at your discard, you think, probably. <laughs> Let me just try a few things. <laughs> yeah. See, this this might work. <laughs>
2: Here's the other thing though with those, and Champions is similar, Marvel Champions, because you refill your hand. Any game where you refill your hand is a totally different experience. Yeah. But mm-hmm. a lot of times also, it, it, you make a lot of bad decisions whenever you're thinking only in terms of the value of, A card that can be replaced versus what you're actually able to do with it like arkham helps that a lot because you have the skill icon so as long as you can contribute it to a test you know it's pretty good but if you're playing a card and getting very minimal value out of it as compared to what you could get out of it next turn you know the value of that card that's going to replace it has got to be at least as high as what it would have been if you just saved it and used it at its peak so it can force you to play really poorly as well where you're just burning cards but yeah, you're getting them you know you're replacing them at the end of the turn, but they could have had a greater value over time if you had waited for the right moment to play them. And Patrice forces you to find that balance, I imagine, and that's why Yeah, it, absolutely. That's
1: why yeah. It's scary. I mean, she's she's a bit different because you have to use the cards. But oh, you I totally do. Get what you're saying. Did she say that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You discard well, you your know, hand at the end of the You discard your round. card at the end oh, of the turn. Oh my gosh. So so you make a good point, um which is you know you've got to find the balance between holding on to a card forever and it doing nothing over the course of the game and or, or using it and not getting a good use out of it haven't you yeah i see the same thing in keyforge
0: people hold on to incredibly powerful pretty situational cards and they don't draw enough of their deck as a result and you can discard any card of the same house you call in a given turn and I often, that's my tip to a newer player. It's like, don't be afraid to discard things that don't yes. help you in the next couple of turns. Absolutely. Because holding on to that uh, miasma to stop me forging a key in three turns
1: is is three turns that you could have had an extra card each each of those turns. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. When we played, and I noticed and Ben was using, because like, event cards will give you Ember, right? Yeah, normally, normally, yeah he was using event cards mainly just for the ember as yeah. economy cards and i i was when we played uh, i was just holding on to these cards waiting for a good chance to use them yeah but yeah maybe that better use is just to cycle through your deck yeah. get the ember for the for the instant boost yeah sometimes you got to burn them i mean that's the uh,
2: those games are so different it it's it's just a totally different experience and in fact i like it a little less honestly i i i feel like managing hand size is a factor and a variable that I find to be fulfilling because it's it's just another piece of the equation that I'm having to pay attention to. Whenever it's just, you know, essentially free money, play it all, it, I, think, I think games lose a little bit of something. They certainly go faster, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit more like hope I draw the right cards at the right time and then I get to play them at their max value instead of their, you know, their average or minimal value just by gaining an amber or just discarding them where you know in Arkham whenever I'm not whenever I'm having to wait and actually say how long do I want to do I want to put this in a skill test or do I want to wait until I can get its maximum effect do I want to draw a card right now or is the hand that I have mm-hmm. sufficient for the challenges that I expect to face mm-hmm. those kinds of considerations I think are a critical part of my enjoyment of card games in general so when you take that away I do think that it it changes the dynamic a little bit it makes it feel a little bit more flippant honestly it, it's just kind of like a little bit more it's a weird word but i feel like it's disrespectful to the cards <laughs> you know i'm like oh, ah yeah. you, you used to mean so much to me and now i can just discard <laughs> you without thinking twice
1: yeah now you're chaff that
0: just that's pays right. for other cards
1: yeah you commit that uh that uh, golden pocket watch for the hmm. single wild icon <laughs> that's that's the horrible feeling. that's that right think. sometimes it's the right decision though isn't that crazy it, absolutely yeah should we jump in to talk about Tony a little bit? Now we will kind of move on to Arkham. I'd, lo-
2: yeah. I'd love to talk about Tony. Tony's a, a perfect, I love these kinds of investigators more than more than anything.
1: What is so appealing about, about well, Tony? Well,
2: because it's, so first of all, the road cards are terrifying to me. I haven't looked at them in a little while. I've been uh, living <laughs> in Survivor, uh, and actually Guardian Land. I've been doing Tommy Muldoon here recently.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. I guess
2: he has some Survivor cards, so maybe that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... They all have these weird symbols. I mean, Arkham TV, they all have these crazy symbols because they've all been like a ratted or banned or tabooed or something. <laughs> I've got to yeah, do like yeah. like six days of research just to figure out what all these cards actually do anymore. <laughs>
0: You realized you've, you've come into the the big boys table yeah. where there are these really <laughs> scary cards that are
1: broken and things like that. It's
2: like in my early yeah. days of Arkham, those are all the cards that I would run. So it's like, I guess I
1: was onto something. Yeah, we, we did an article for FG a while ago uh, about deck building and we went back and looked at it and like all the cards we were putting in the decks are the ones that are restricted now. Yeah, funny how that works. <laughs> huh? it's like, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um,
2: I like Tony a lot because you can build tony in such a unique way based on those three classes that you choose to to sub into. Mm-hmm. I like that it's a fairly straightforward and very thematic investigator. You kind of it's kind of hard to argue with what Tony's looking to do where you have a five combat stat, you're placing bounties on enemies, you're getting actions for attacking those enemies, you're gaining money for killing those enemies. It's like, okay, I get it. Like I'm going in with a very clear direction of what is Tony Morgan. And I think the deck building process that follows from that to me is is a lot nicer because sometimes when there's less constraints, I feel overwhelmed by like mm-hmm. all of the possibilities. Yeah. So when you go- into, I'm exactly the same, yeah. You know, it's like that, uh, what is it? Creativity is born from restraint, something like that is some kind yeah. of a quote like mm-hmm. that. And I feel that in deck building as well. I think if you give me a smaller window to focus in, uh, it's a lot more fulfilling of a process to make like, picks between two cards that I want in the deck rather than picks between seven cards, five of which I want in the deck. Yeah. So I like Tony a lot, and
1: obviously getting to go Survivor is just so much fun. We're yes. from the same, the same cloth when it comes to deck building, Stephen. I'm, I'm, I'm of a very similar mind. It's always the more direct ones that give me a steer on something I'm good at. Yeah, yeah, that's good. They're the, they're the ones I want to play. And then it's that twist
0: that you add where do you really lean heavily into optimizing strengths or do you twist it around and go well what are my weaknesses and how do i shore those up because i think in arkham part of the balancing act is where can the mythos hurt me Mm -hmm. and how do i how do i protect for that and what i also like about tony is is the um the pyramid shape of his stats that (laughs) he's got five combat but agility and willpower the defensive stats are way down at two yeah and that i mean it's pretty rare to see someone who's got basically no defensive stance yeah Um, absolutely true kind of intriguing yeah and
2: you can't die i mean that's the number one rule of arkham like don't die like resign (laughs) if you're gonna die just don't do it right so uh especially with uh i was getting wrecked in uh what was it undone the other day we played a couple weekends ago and it's just like can i not get these brain tests Over and over and over. It's like I'm trying to play the game and you're just throwing these tests at me and I have a weak stat, right? So it's like, stop, Arkham. So, uh, (laughs) so my Tony, my Tony approach is trying to, to help out the brain stat a little bit because, you know, the number one rule is don't. Don't die of you know going crazy. I can get over yeah. like th- most of the the foot tests are usually agility tests are usually like uh, okay I get hit by a boulder or something I've got nine health it's not a big deal. Mm. But the brain stuff is where I really get wrecked. Especially he's got a five sanity. It's just like. Well, you got to do something about that. You can't just
0: Well, this is another reason we thought you might like Tony because that 2 willpower and 5 sanity reminds me of <laughs> Silas. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's well, a real Achilles heel. But the, the mm-hmm.
2: thing about Silas is he is impossible to fail a skill test with. I mean, you just <laughs> you just shouldn't do it no matter what the stat is. So, Tony's got it a little harder, but if I bring in the survivor cards, I feel like I'm there and I feel like I've also, with Tony, I was able to get a, a theme that I really could get behind, this Crystallizer of Dreams, like wearing this necklace and being a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was off to the races ah, on that. More,
1: more enemies, yeah, because the Crystallizer puts into the enemies. Yeah,
2: that's what got my attention on it first was like, okay, I, I want to be killing it. So the way that I look at Tony is like if I ignore the cults, First of all, you're never going to play them both at the same time. Just get over that right now. Like that's not even a reasonable <laughs> thing to do. We were t-
1: Frank and I were talking about this the other day. It's it's, an, it's the ability you least want yeah. on the cult <laughs> right. because you only want one at a time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, great. Let's increase my liability
2: to like some weird treasure <laughs> card that gets rid of both my guns. So instead, I mean, look at you know just the base of the card. If you were to just play it straight, your maximum efficiency there is going to be gaining six actions and gaining six dan- or. Uh, Six mm-hmm. uh, resources. Six resources, yeah. yeah. Um, if I put one bounty on everything that comes out and kill that thing, I'm gaining six money and six actions over time. Cool. Like that, That's extremely relevant, which is essentially 12
0: actions. Really relevant, yeah.
2: And then the cold allows you to cycle that over. Uh, so that opens up some strategies where you might put a two bounty or a three bounty on something to get a big influx of cash, knowing that you have the long colts out and you can start to refill your bounty contracts. And then I think... It's natural you're going to have to go into the emergency cache, gain four bullets. I don't, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't do that. The value there is so high for Tony specifically. No,
1: the, the reason you wouldn't is because you've you've gone guardian, which lets you pick up, say, extra ammo. Yeah, a bit of backstory, Stephen. Frank and I both played Depths of Yoth uh, using Tony Morgan, and I, well, I used Frank's deck, and Frank had built a guardian Tony deck nice. with mm-hmm. uh, with the extra ammo in. Uh, what was interesting is we both played uh, Marvel Champions for the first time in the morning, so <laughs> yeah. I think it was the first set in the UK. Yeah, but we both commented afterwards in a weird way. Tony almost felt like a, a hero. You've got almost the mini game of moving your your bounties around, deciding cool. to put the bounty on something. He's got that little core of you want you want to kill something using the long cults. You don't want to ignore that aspect of him. It's not mm. just a bonus. It's kind of core to how he works in the early game yeah i know frank's played teptoni a bunch and he's got a lot of thought about when you put a bounty on something or not yeah yeah and you
0: actually summed it up really well Stephen, because you you touched on the fact that it's actions resources and maybe it's a combat boost and they're three separate things an enemy that comes out that's one fight you you probably don't need the combat boost but you might want the spare action to just get rid of it. Yeah. Whereas similarly, like a, a big enemy that you're going to spend lots of actions killing, maybe you really want the combat boost on that and you want to make it worth your while. So you maybe want to put three bounties on that so that when you run out of ammo killing it, you're ready to play your next long Colt or or whatever it is. The other thing for me on that is like,
2: I only ever want to shoot that Colt for the last shot. Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I want that Derringer in my offhand to whittle it down mm. until I can I can close it out with the cold. I want to get the most use out of that ammo as possible, especially before I get those caches in the deck with experience. Mm. I think, I mean, that's, you know, this is all yeah. total theorycraft. But for me, I've got active desperation too. So like I can drain a Derringer and then active desperation, get the money back, do more damage, finish it off with the Colt, And so the efficiency is, is pretty high on that exchange.
1: And even just regular old slapping. Tony's pretty good at because he's got that five combat. Yeah, he can so just, just punch
2: on it. And in punch. fact, you
1: could go Switchblade if you wanted. I mean, I, his attack
2: stat is is high enough that that's probably reasonable. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, I've got Act of Desperation, one of the best survivor cards in the game. I may as well use some some expendable
1: assets and then toss him in to make best use of my survivor pool. I noticed you've also, because Steven sent us over a deck that he's carefully crafted, you've slotted in one of my, my Sleeper Hits which is the Tennessee sour Mash. Oh, I love it. I feel so. Have powerful. you used that in Silas?
2: Ah, uh, good question. I don't. I don't think so. I think my Silas deck is like thirty skills, but the <laughs> I've used it in Tommy. It's in my Tommy uh, Muldoon deck, the Guardian version, or I'm yes, sorry, this version the exactly, Survivor. the Survivor version, um, yeah. Survivor Rogue, and you know, it's it's like a nice, it's like a safety blanket. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, you got it out, and you're like, ah, yeah, like everything's okay, uh, which is exactly how booze always should feel. But um... I was going to say exactly
1: yeah. <laughs> like a real bottle of sour mash.
2: <laughs> uh, but I'm also going to upgrade into it on the upgrade path as well, so it it makes a lot of sense here. And then, of course, the the cash does it put it puts supplies on sour mash, right? The emergency cash. Yeah, yeah good yeah. point,
1: actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ammo or supplies.
2: Yeah, contraband's garbage. I don't, it, does anyone run that card? <laughs> is that a real? Do
1: people? Stephen, you're out. You're out the loop here. There's there's all sorts of meta decks that use like Frank. Remind me how much ammo someone got to with contraband.
0: Oh, in, we Um it. I mean, I personally have got to twenty eight. But like, <laughs> but then what? <laughs> so so well. So Stephen, there's a gun that you spend ammo and it gives you a combat. Oh list, yeah, uh, that that thing. Yeah, that the Thompson BAR. Arrived. Yeah, yeah, fine, yeah, the fine. BAR. So it starts with eight. You you contraband it twice or whatever, like boost it up. And then it's like a controlled machine gun burst that whatever the size of the enemy, you just spend the exact number of ammo to kill it. Yeah. Oh, you're three bullets yeah. worth. That does sound yes.
1: pretty busted. Yeah. I, I take that back. Yeah. <laughs> Rat shows up and like Leo's just there spraying bullets all around the place.
2: <laughs> for For this deck uh i think the cash is a better choice for me at least
0: i'm gonna break your heart on this the emergency cash level three only places supply tokens not it doesn't place ammo is that true yeah sorry yeah so if it was someone who wasn't tony you could place the supply on venturer who's a guardian maybe that's what i was doing place it into ammo yeah which unfortunately tony can't do because he can't take guardian assets I'm, i'm back on contraband then yeah. <laughs> nice. Thank goodness we sold yeah, you on it. Go. Yeah, let's go. I'll swap it in really right kidding. now. That's a that's a much <laughs> better
2: much better swap And That makes a lot of sense actually. I was thinking like okay. how is yeah. cash this good? Like four ammo for zero doesn't make any sense given all of the our cards listeners that I've seen. wouldn't
0: wouldn't forgive us if we'd let that slide. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right.
1: Well I I'm glad to know that. So what I really like even, uh, I like you've got so you've gone for the crystallizer. Yeah. Which to remind people that's when you, you play an event you can then commit it to a test mm-hmm. yeah
2: you
0: store it you store it
2: on 18. the necklace you can store yeah. up to five and then you can commit those to skill tests and you've
1: also got double double in here yes so you you've packed this deck full of events and you're you're getting double use you're sort of getting quadruple use out of them because you're playing it <laughs> you get you play a second one with double double and then you also commit the card you've doubled to a test later on as well.
2: Absolutely. You will also notice that most of the best in my opinion the best survivor cards have double skill icons. So Yeah. Mm. I did notice that. Pretty much everything in here is a double icon. Live and learn is a wild. You know, it was tough because I wanted to include Lucky but it doesn't have any skill icons and I was like, you know, no, I'll go with Oops instead. It's got the double uh it's got the double fist. I feel like Tony can often find himself with two enemies in in the same space. And, of course, oops, you know, resolving twice. I think you resolve it twice with double-double, right? So you could do failed damage to the same enemy twice. Is that is that oh, true? God.
0: Off the top of my head, I'd say yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, because it's like, say, you play it again. So I, I don't imagine that you have yeah. to redo this, like, play of, like, how you play yeah. it. Oh,
1: man, yeah, that, that that's quite a spicy tech you've got. There. Hey, thanks, <laughs> yeah.
2: So that that was the thought. It's like Crystallizer Dreams is in. Those skill tests get boosted. Because they get boosted, Cigarette Case is going to be more effective drawing cards trying to get me to that long colt. Backpack is, again, searching out. I've got 12 items, at least in the base build, and it's searching out the Derringers, the Flash Slides, the long colts, the Sour Mash, of course. And I didn't have anything else to put on my body, so I figured that was a fine uh, a fine thing. I've got Dario oh, in spots, here, and... and that's fine. I mean, it's it's fine. It's going to buff your will stat a little bit, which is helpful. And honestly, this Tony version, and maybe I don't know if it's just mine or if it's in general, I think is a fine clue gatherer too. I mean, mm-hmm. Dario gets you to four on the book stat, and then you've got a number of cards that are going to boost that skill just by putting them in. Like Intel Reports, great example. You get those, yeah, yeah. You get to discover clues with the money you're making off your bounties, and then you get to throw it into a test for plus two, trigger your lucky cigarette
0: case, assuming that you're drawing a reasonable token out of the bag. This is exactly what my solo Tony has been doing. Crystallizer and Intel report feels amazing. Intel report's also
1: double icon, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. So buy a clue for two, and then the next time you investigate, you investigate at a five, because you're committing it. Absolutely. It's just... It's like all of the good things of that card getting used. It's really nice. Yeah, I think,
2: it, look what I found is the same way, right? Where it's like, because your stat is a three, that actually, I think, puts you in the threshold where failing, failing by two or less is pretty reasonable on most of those mm-hmm. tests, yeah. especially you've got a flashlight. That allows you to gain two clues, throw it onto a Crystallizer and get plus two to your next Investigate. It's really strong.
1: Um, yeah. And could, could really you nice. do as well, sorry, you've got Live and Learn and Oops and Double Double. So you could do, you could attack... <laughs> Double the oops to do t- two sets of attack to another enemy or location, and then yeah, live, and, live learn and learn the original that. attack. Yeah, and then commit commit the oops that's on your crystalizer <laughs> to that attack. So the then you're a plus four. four start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, if you say I can do that, then I believe it. I you can. absolutely <laughs> can. That sounds yeah. mad fun. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. That's the yeah. idea. And uh, live and learn is just probably my favorite card in this entire game. There's nothing better than not failing something mm. yes. <laughs> that's that's some
1: free life advice you get from me as well <laughs> and even better i did I, I just realized how much fun it is with those do something if you fail cards as well and i don't know why i never thought of that i was playing patrice the other day and i managed to get two clues off a, off a high shroud location with and then live and learn to get the third clue as well so look what i found then live and learn
2: yeah oh, that's beautiful you gotta love yeah. that
1: yeah absolutely yeah
2: can I ask you a question about, so the upgrade path that I'm on is, is very mm. questionable. I was just kind of throwing ideas at this. What do you think about moment of respite? Like, I like the idea of healing through horror and drawing a card, potentially doubling that to, I only have five. So like, you know, if you have four damage, you could full heal, draw two cards, and then you get plus two on the crystallizer. I have always hated this card, but, for mm. some reason, in Tony, I'm just kind of nervous, so I feel like maybe it's a good use of uh, spinning that experience and then getting those two icons on the crystallizer to make it even better in the future. Do you agree with that? Is that true?
0: Uh, it's it's definitely possible. Yeah. The other card, the other card I'd, wow, other card I'd mention. <laughs> well, I agree with you that it's a it's quite a lot of XP for a card like that. The other card I'd mention in Survivor that's a really nice fit is Perseverance. Yeah, it's, yeah. which. It's also two two willpower icons, and it's level zero, and it does a similar-ish thing that when you're at that really dangerous point with your sanity and you're about to be eliminated, perseverance, you know, you're going to be able to cancel up to four horror in one go. Um, so my solo Tony, that became a really important card because, like, other t- otherwise you're just eliminated scenario after scenario. You know, you yeah. need to basically he basically makes you have nine sanity. a very small window which is important well i Um, say why not both
1: yeah yeah you could go both exactly yeah i think that's where i am the place i like moment of respite is in agnes especially Mm -hmm. Uh, but then again maybe she packs a lot of other horror healing as well i just with agnes i always i always love horror healing because in my opinion your your sanity is a resource yeah in agnes and it makes sense to have cards that top up that resource. I have actually used Moment of Respite in the past, but I think I, I was in Rex. That was a long time ago. Okay. It, it might yeah.
2: be one of those that like you, you have to. it as an option kind of moving forward, and you kind of see how your scenario is going. And if you keep mm-hmm. getting pounded yeah. by these tests, then it's like, all right, well, it's
0: time to invest some XP in that. And if you've taken one mental trauma and you're starting a scenario with only four sanity as Tony, like at that point protecting your sanity becomes a massive priority yeah. and so having something like moment of respite is really important. The other thing I would say is that Tony is probably better placed to be able to afford it yes. than many other investigators. Yeah, like he yeah. sh- he should be rich as a rogue. You could be upgrading into more rogue money cards especially if you're going to double them. So then playing paying 3 for moment of respite is like chump change for him. Yeah. He doesn't care in the way that paying 3 in, in, say, a Guardian, they'd be like, oh, this is pretty pricey to stay alive.
2: What do you think are the best upgrades in Rogue for Tony? I don't think any of the level one survivors are worth taking. It's like all mm-hmm. of the exile cards, it just doesn't work with my strategy. Yeah, I presume you would exile it instead of discard it, which means that you wouldn't put it on Crystallizer. But I'm just yeah, I, I think so. I'm just a simple Arkham player. Yeah. I you know I don't <laughs> I don't follow every Drawn to Flame podcast, unfortunately, where you tell me all of the sweet hacks that I've been missing out on.
0: <laughs> what you've not been listening to every episode? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fine. What's striking about Tony is all of his off classes give him access to cancellation if he wants it Mm -hmm. so in guardian you can go on the hunt and you can go looking for enemies rather than taking treacheries and then in survivor you've got test of will which is cancel a treachery and in seeker you've got forewarned which is if you have a clue cancel a treachery is it have a clue yeah have a clue cancel yeah yeah Yeah. so so he has access in all of his secondary classes should he be interested in that and maybe that's something that depending on what your sanity is like if you're starting to to panic that's an option that is a good option Um, yeah my feeling i've said this off air to peter my feeling about tony is i'm waiting to see if there are some good xp cards this cycle for him because he really changes how you interact with some cards like even the double-handed weapons so like the the rogue thompson or the chicago typewriter because you really want to have his in play I'm less sure, like normally I'd say, wow, he's a fighter. I'm definitely going to give him some big machine gun. But then because he wants the Colts and he wants sort of small guns, it doesn't quite work. Yeah, he's he's intriguing to me. I've not really I've not really worked out what I want. To oh, d-
2: and Double Double is exceptional too. So I only run yeah. one of those, yeah? Yeah, yeah and it, yeah. it costs
1: okay, eight, great. So yeah.
0: I think,
2: I mean, my first, I would go Relic Hunter so I can get Crystallizer and Cigarette Case out. That's my first upgrade for sure in this build. Yeah. And then I probably try to go right into double-double as my second.
1: Yeah.
2: You've got oh, yeah. so many events. It's
1: it's really good here.
2: Yeah, and you could yeah. you could upgrade the Derringers because, like, you know, why not? Like, if you're just yep. whittling down an enemy, you get a free attack. You've already got a free action from Tony's ability. It's like you could just lay some I definitely out. think
1: an upgraded weapon is good. There's this, like, flow with Tony where you, you beat up an enemy a bit and then you finish him off with your cult. Yeah. The headshot. Yeah, the
0: headshot. Yeah. As they're lying on the ground. Oh, it's so brutal. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It,
2: <laughs> yeah. Actually, coup de I was looking at coup de gras there for a while and I was like, wait a minute, this is exactly what Tony doesn't want. Even though it feels good. It feels like it's right there, but it's like, no, I gotta kill him with the cold. I don't wanna kill him with a coup de gras. I would have a blast playing this deck. I'm probably gonna run this, uh you guys have have encouraged me now to run this uh, probably on the next. We re- re- do a different investigator every scenario. So we're working through Circle and Done right now. I'm playing Tommy. Okay,
0: interesting way of playing. Yeah, yeah, and then I'll. Every
2: scenario, every campaign? Every campaign, sorry, every campaign. Oh, yeah. Okay, phew, yeah. And so then I'll come into Dream Meters. I'll probably run uh, Tony in Dream Meters. That sounds good.
0: And by your answer, that makes me think you don't know about the Ooh, Dream Eaters. You've got, you've got a, an excellent surprise in store. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. absolutely.
2: Is it an excellent surprise like Forgotten Age? Because I, I could stand to know. <laughs> it. <laughs> it's that kind yeah, of surprise. the opposite of that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think when I was talking to you guys last, I was about to start Forgotten Age, and you guys were like, "Oh yeah, <laughs>
1: have <laughs> have fun. a good time yeah. with that one, <laughs> snakes." Uh,
2: and you were right; it was. Uh, it was an is a heck of an experience. We all cried together, learned from it, <laughs> and uh, decided to uh, look forward to Circle Undone. Okay. <laughs> Hoping for for less. It was actually, Forgotten Age was actually really fascinating. In terms of the story, I thought it was really amazing. Yeah. But man, it, it was grueling at times. I felt like I was just getting mm. wrecked.
0: You felt like you were in a jungle without appropriate supplies. Yeah, I,
2: I definitely <laughs> felt that way. And I'm not convinced yet that that is why I play games.
1: (laughs) So how far through uh, Circle Undone are you?
2: Oh, I think we're three in. Uh, Let's see what happened. We did the the first thing where we're, you know, kind of lost, and then we did the second thing where we're at the house. I'm trying not to spoil anything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know you you are, I know you are, yeah. I I think we're on the third one right now.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's a difficult start, I think, on the Circle Undone. But you've got one of my favorite scenarios of all time coming up soon. All right. Will I know it when I see it? Will I just be like, this is the greatest Arkham experience I've ever had? You may just sit down and think, this is really cool. (laughs) Because that's exactly how we felt when we played it. Awesome. When we set things up, we were like, it, 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 it varies quite a bit depending on which path you've gone down early on in the campaign. All right, sweet. Well, we went down a lot of very questionable paths early. So <laughs> I remember, I've said this before on the podcast, but in that first, no, well, the second scenario where you go to the party and then bad stuff happens at the party, mm-hmm. uh, and you're, it's sort of hinted that you should try and save other people at the party oh did you not do that either <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely did not know <laughs> and we, we like we stepped over the corpses of lots of other part heroes on it we we're like oh this is brilliant this deals with this problem for us so we'll just we'll let that happen
2: well anytime i see a victory on a card it's got to go so, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm there for the experience. Whether or not they're meant to survive for the story is a different matter entirely.
0: <laughs> You're gonna love playing Tony because that's how Tony approaches most enemies. Victory, you say. You're my next bounty. Yeah. Great.
2: I'm. I'm ready. I, I'm actually really amped to play this deck. What? What? What did your guardian and uh, whatever the other version is? What did they bring she differently came. than mm. Survivor? Like, I feel like Survivor. I was able to bring. A lot of these double icon uh, skills that were actually also really good cards. So, like, live and learn, oops, you know, Perseverance. These are just, like, classic, if things are going wrong, they're not going wrong anymore cards. So, Survivor, I feel like, is really good at leveling out your odds Mm -hmm. and kind of how your game goes so you're not as swingy. Yeah, yeah. And then I got act- shoring up mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Him. Like, look what I found. Of course, like, oh, I failed that, but actually, it's better. And then, act of desperation is just incredible at getting resources back and also doing some damage before you finish them with the Colt. What What does the Guardian side uh, bring to Tony? Like, what did you guys do with that?
1: So, for my money, the Guardian really shores up. I guess you could say, like, the fundamentals of Tony. He yeah, can yeah. Take prepared for the worst to grab his guns. Uh, which is good. You can take extra ammo to keep them stocked up. You can take on the hunt, which lets you pull out enemies, bounties. Uh, and then the, I think, yes, uh, take the initiative obviously as well is, is a really great card for anyone who might struggle in the Mythos phase because it lets you kind of ace a willpower test at one point. That's that's mm-hmm. super
2: reasonable. I passed over that card because I was like, oh, this is too conditional.
1: And it's I was exactly the same as that. I and when it. you play it, it is actually quite good.
0: Yeah, I get it. This is one of the cards that Peter was quite lukewarm on, and yeah, yeah, it's it's like a Mythos card. It's still three wild icons in Mythos, so that's when you use it. So for Tony, it's going to boost your agility or your willpower, and then there might be an occasional moment where you say, "I really need to kill this really high fight enemy, so let me go first, guys," and hopefully everyone else goes, "Oh, okay." You You take the initiative. What's your reasoning? Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that's good. The other thing you can do with Guardian is you can put in some of the events around getting clues that care about enemies. So you can get evidence or scene right, of the crime, right, right, which yeah. both key off enemies and killing enemies. So you sort of get, you know, rather than worrying about using intellect to investigate, you just get clues for killing enemies as well. You become this very, like, one-track hunter yeah. in Guardian. You know, I those two cards do so much work in this Tommy
2: Muldoon deck. I've been amazed. Yeah. Because basically, what I do is drag enemies around and they beat on my stuff. And then, uh, I get them where they need to be, like high shroud locations with evidence and scene of the crime, and just set that up for later. And meantime, they just like reload Becky for me whenever they take those opportunity attacks. It's just like, of all the investigators that I've played, at least, Tommy seems the most reasonable at like dragging enemies around, taking all of it, soaking all of that damage and the opportunity attacks gaining benefit from it, and then being in the right place for an evidence or scene of the crime.
1: I think it, yeah. it, it's a challenge. A lot of people will be like, this this card is great for stopping me from dying or, you know, for soaking up loads of damage. But the, the challenge is always to turn that indestructibility into into tempo or some other advantage you've got in the game. Yep. And it's very easy to say, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to die from things hitting me. It's Fine, but how are you going to win? yeah uh, exactly. and i think yeah tony you know sorry tommy has got a few tricks to do that absolutely what
2: about
0: uh oh and you got prepared for the worst in there don't you you, you could do that to yeah. search out the colts exactly yeah, yeah 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 for the colts that you're not gonna play both of them at the same time yeah you could search <laughs> to have them in hand never yeah. D- double, yeah. double, double,
1: double, double that. Prepare, prepare for the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that you then play one at a time. Yeah, right. Yeah, that'd be nice.
0: Um, yeah. What about uh, what about seeker? A seeker? Yeah. On th- this is really fascinating. This is the puzzling because... one. <laughs> yeah. So I did a straw poll a couple of weeks ago with patrons of the cast, and I said, if you're playing solo, Tony, what secondary class do you take? And overwhelmingly, people have said seeker. Yeah, that definitely. would make sense. You got to do both if you're solo. And then I had another patron say to me, I'm really intrigued by Tony because the majority of decks for Tony published on Arkham DB are Survivor or Guardian and there are barely any Seeker decks out there. And that might be that solo players aren't publishing their decks because they just play at home by themselves. They're sort of, maybe they're not engaged in the conversation at large, maybe. It might be because the people who publish decks want to publish what they think are weird Tony decks because they've already tried Seeker and decided not. But... It's sort of really intriguing to me that people are saying, definitely play Seiko with Tony, particularly for Solo. Yeah. But then I'm not seeing actually too much talk about it. So I grabbed a list of all the events and skills he could take, and I sent it to Peter, and we had a chat about it. And it's it's a really intriguing mix, isn't it, Peter? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think there's just some useful cards you take. That was the best I could I could put it. So you, mm-hmm. you maybe you take Working a Hunch... But as discussed, we've also got Intel Report. So is that really like a, a hot pick? Shortcut mm, yeah. is always going to be good. Yeah, always. Just yeah. A, Free just a move. Card. Yeah. And Inquiring Mind, it's also just a good card, three icons. And Inquiring Mind is a.
0: It's like Take the Initiative. It's a conditional three icons, but with a different condition. There needs to be a clue on your location. But that's that's often the case. And maybe if you were playing Seeker Tony, you you really care about your positioning. So if you're worried about taking a nasty treachery, you make sure you end your turn with a clue on your location. Yeah. And maybe if you're running, working a hunch, you're then grabbing that clue fast as soon as your turn begins and moving on. You sort of he maybe just ends up being very mobile and kind of quick at doing things. You know, you could also be taking deduction in there. Yeah. Uh, So then you're investigating at a four and getting two clues potentially. But it it he is it is funny because you you don't want things like mind over matter because you don't want to use your intellect in place of your absolutely not know yeah you don't want things like I've got a plan because you don't want to use your intellect to attack and then there's a few seeker events out there like knowledge is power and yeah sort of ones where it's like well he can't take any tomes so he's not, he's not interested oh truth from fiction is another one where he doesn't really want to add secrets to things so, <laughs> can he take so no. any cards with secrets on them. Yeah, this is strange. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. So like of the list, I think there are 27 cards you can take from Seeker, but I actually ended up crossing out a bunch of them and it starts to really whittle down. Here's a weird one though, that I haven't even told you about, Peter. So one of the things with Tony is you can end up with extra actions because you get the extra actions with your bounties. and Because you're a rogue, maybe you get an extra action from the Derringer. And you might not always have a great thing to use those actions on. If you're playing in multiplayer, you could run Guidance in Tony. I
1: was, I, was, I knew you were going to say this. I don't know how I yeah, knew, but yeah, yeah. I knew
0: you were going to say it. <laughs> so, uh, Stephen, you maybe don't know. Uh, like Guidance, broadly speaking, people don't really play it you're trading yeah, a it's, card and an action to be- give someone else an action. Yeah, but
2: that's because nobody understands the power of teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> I watched those commercials as a kid. Come on, it's about working together to achieve a common result. I, I understand why you wouldn't do it. I mean, I would I would play it in uh Actually, my is that Norman that does the one on the top of yeah. the deck?
0: I kind of like yeah, yeah, I kind of yeah. like yeah.
2: guidance in him because you at least remove the card cost yeah. from guidance.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can understand why people wouldn't play that. And if you're playing it in Crystallizer Tony it has a wild icon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So ah, it, interesting. It, I mean, it's, it's not live and learn, but instead of, instead of taking a test again, you're like giving up an action to give someone else an action and you then get a wild for a test later. Crystallizer is really nice for, for taking the, the low benefit of committing cards and the high benefit of playing the events and combining them yeah. as long as you can do in, in a particular order. Did you guys all take Crystallizer? Was that a key part of the build? Uh, the deck we ran in Depths of Yoth, we took Lucky Cigarette Case as the accessory and didn't take Crystallizer. And then my solo deck, Crystallizer was kind of the cornerstone. Nice, nice. To do exactly as we talked about. Yeah. Intel report, buy a clue,
1: and then use it to investigate afterwards. Cigarette Case makes bank in the Tony deck with the five combat. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was it was so good. Yeah. Every I... single turn we were getting extra cards off that.
2: See, I like I like doubling up early on both of them and going Relic Hunter as your first because like they all have, Mm -hmm. uh, willpower icons. So your extras you can just discard to do a little bit better and not, not fail so hard on all of those tests.
0: So yeah, I think if you get both out, man, you're, you're rolling. The other accessory yeah. he kind of likes is the decorated skull as yeah, well. Yeah, that's definitely. the one where every time you kill an enemy, you get a get a counter. <laughs> I just uh, so I've been running a Tony with that as well. It's also yeah.
2: just so so thematic. It like makes you it just makes yeah. you happy thinking about it. <laughs> I just don't like anything. It's that that spend an action to spend a charge to draw and gain a resource. It's like what's the actual value there i looked at this for a long time today that decorated skull it was so close between that and the uh cigarette or the crystallizer i think yeah and it was like "Ah, i don't know uh so i ultimately cut it but i understand how that would make a lot of sense for him
1: i remember when i used to play netrunner professional contacts
2: Mm that's
1: what that was a five cost resource which was action gain a gain a credit draw a card and i hated it you hated it. People <laughs> I hated it. all it. the time. It was just, I, I know people who would play it and then hit it three times and then hit it four times next turn. Yes, they
2: would do that. They would. <laughs> and I always was like, ah, I
0: don't it's the think thing as, that's as,
1: worth <laughs> it. Same as Macromopus <laughs> as well. Just like, here's my turn. Take eight credits. Over to you. <laughs> like,
0: so, but Stephen, would you hate professional contacts if it costs zero instead of five? No, I would love it. And was a tiny skull. <laughs> the math, the math
2: works out. It's beautiful in that case. It's absolutely yeah. beautiful. But you gotta, you gotta kill things. So I, I suppose if you're not doing that in Tony, you're losing anyway. So I, it's a good. Yeah, <laughs> and what
0: I would say as well in Tony is you have, you have these spare actions. You end up with spare actions in Tony, and then the decorated skull like, increases the value of every possible action you can take. Yeah. Because you never, you never click. So I, I play in a three-player group. I'm playing a decorated skull Tony. And he just makes silly money and has huge amounts of cards in hand yeah. at any given time. Because whenever I have a, a down moment, I get resource and a card. And it's like the other two players look across being like, you've got to share some of that. <laughs> How is this? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, nope, this is not teamwork, Tony.
1: This is Skull Tony. That's great. Yeah. yeah, that that would work extremely well. Does he get tokens if an ally? Because he gets if tokens, he gets if... His allies die, right?
0: If an ally, investigator, or enemy dies at his location. So if you're partnered up with <laughs> so I mean, There's with even Tommy. reason to kill investigators as well. If you need. <laughs> He'd be good uh,
2: paired up with running around with Tommy, too, because exactly. my Tommy yeah. deck just runs through allies like they're
0: uh, yeah. not yeah, yeah. not even of any value at all. <laughs> we didn't really get anywhere with Seeker because it's I'm really in, I, need, I need to try it, and it's really intriguing me how it It's sort of almost like maybe good stuff, Tony. It just shores up a bit of weaknesses, adds a bit of efficiency, doesn't necessarily lean him in any particular direction. Yeah. I'm really intrigued by it. Those decks can be super
2: fun too. I always like the kind of more adaptable decks that can
1: do a little bit of everything. Mm, Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, We've got a quick question from one of our patrons, if that's okay, Stephen. Yeah, sure. So I don't know whether you know this, but the, the new standalone pack... Arkham, the um, is it called Murder at the Excelsior?
2: Yes, mm-hmm. that's correct.
1: Yeah, that was designed in conjunction with one of the chaps from uh, the Mythos Busters podcast, who is uh, the, that's cool. The other spit on the floor, uh, uh Arkham podcast. Yeah,
2: do you guys like I'm just fight?
1: shaking my do fist. Guys, do you guys yeah, fight and stuff? Do it's you have the like... blood feud?
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had one one episode where we did a quiz, us versus them, and we won. And we have, so we're the holders of the chalice yeah. and we have to arrange to have a quiz again, but as long as we keep postponing it, we remain <laughs> champions. That's a great so. strategy.
1: What our patron would love to know, Stephen, if you could pick a theme or a setting for an Arkham standalone expansion, what would you pick? Oh, that's a good, that's a really good question.
2: Um, mm. So I would default to something that was made known to me a couple of years ago after i think my brother told me this we've been role playing together for you know since we were like 6 and 7 years old and he he said one of the things that i always know i'm going to get whenever you're like creating a world or creating a campaign is you really love the idea of like isolation and desolation like mm-hmm. you know we ran a campaign where they were new world explorers and they arrived in this foreign place there was like five people and had no idea what was going on and all of the norms and culture was different and nobody was around for the first like half of the campaign. And so it was kind of like forgotten agey and that you had to mm. toil with like, how am I just going to survive and live in an, in an unknown place?
0: Wow. You want forgotten age too? Yeah.
2: That's what you're saying, <laughs> <Exactly>. Steven. <laughs> and that, well, the amazing thing about that uh, campaign was that you find it actually happens where the player dynamics shift with those feelings of uncertainty helplessness kind of staring into the void i love the idea of uh martian chronicles like bradbury's martian Chronicles, like that the idea of this unknown and this emptiness that you're just there and maybe the first person to be there and now you have to figure out what is my next move so
1: mm, with
2: that in mind nice. if i could tie it into like arkham I would say a maybe like a deep Arctic, Antarctica. Um, yeah,
1: that just sprung to mind as you're talking about that isolation. Yeah, that com- of coming it. across a,
2: a tundra. Like, let's say there's been a, a mysterious thing happen at like one of the, you know, a base in Antarctica. I don't know the timeline if that actually works, but um, for some reason, or maybe an old ship or something that is, has washed up, uh, it got stuck in the ice caps or something, and like there's been weird reports about phenomena out there or something like that. And you have to like get to it and then explore it and have all sorts of weird stuff happen and get back.
1: Have you, have you seen um, the, the Terror
2: by any chance? The movie Terror? No, I have not. I don't like watching scary things at all. It, I can't. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about this stuff more than when I'm having fun with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a TV series called The Terror, I think uh, AMC. And it's about the, the Erebus and the Terror, which were the, the two ships that uh, tried to discover Ooh. the Northwest Passage and got stuck in the ice, and then all the crew disappeared without a trace. There you go. I mean, we, there's the scenario. Yeah. We've done
0: it. And I love this because it includes the sea as well. Yeah. It, <laughs> People might not know, but you're crazy about the sea. <laughs> you're, seeing, you're seeing a theme.
2: How, how about this? Yeah. I, so I think that tension we were talking, like tension between humanity and your loss of sanity kind of in the absence of that. So maybe mm. maybe you could do a mechanic where if you end your turn with no other investigators in your lo- this would suck for solo. If you interturn with no other investigators in your location, then you have to do like a sanity check oh, or like this take is a horror. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you, wow. you kind of hook. Tony on like a five turn clock yeah. <laughs> before any
2: scenario eliminates it. <laughs> yeah, solo is not good for that. But I, I do like the idea of like maybe your high willpower investigator has to strike out and lead the way and take that test and then everybody follows and then there are like Incentives to to branch off and split up and like oh, make so cool. make the risk of like do I want to be alone for the night and have this advantage or do I want to stick with the party and like stay safe?
1: It's almost like you could have like a campfire, you're all cuddled around you know, and uh, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. maybe someone's lighting fires to give you a, a safe port to to huddle around. It's perfect. You could
0: have a really nice tension then between the benefits from staying together and the benefits from splitting up. That's and it. Th- I'm sure then the mini game of different players and maybe different investigators going, you know, I can imagine Silas being able to go off on his own because he's confident in the wilds and other characters not wanting to do that. Yeah. I've got to say, Stephen, I guessed ahead of time that you would say that it was a scenario set in Orkney, Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> just, you know, I knew that you liked islands and sea. Absolutely. It's not quite the same as, as the Arctic. I, yeah, if, uh, getting
2: stranded on an island is very similarly isolating. Uh, I could yeah. I could go there as well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, but also before I get out of here, have you guys... So I think I'm onto to something here, and I want to know if other people are on to it on this Norman Withers deck that I've been thinking about. Is, every, okay. is anyone else playing Norman Withers with uh, Open Gate?
1: Oh, I haven't looked at him since uh Jimmy has came out, but that
2: you gotta look at it. It be
1: fun, right, okay.
2: He gets five uh five of the arcane cards, three of them are open yeah. gate, one cost he plays them off the top of his deck. they're fast. There is nobody better at dropping open gates than Norman withers
0: oh, that's spicy mm. yeah, it's nice it's nice i have a yeah. I have a
2: build called like uh what I call it like astral traveler Norman withers because <laughs> I'm that <laughs> nice. exact kind of player uh yeah, and it's like. It's like three open gates and two Astral Travels just because like it's theme. But yeah, you should look at that. I I hope somebody listening will try that deck because I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet. I think it'd be a lot of fun.
0: I'm playing in a group. We're playing three player and we're all playing Mystics. Oh, right. And what we've done is we've run two open gate each. Yes. Because obviously there's a max three in play. Mm -hmm. Um, So rather than making one player run all three, we're running six with a plan to be able to like set up we can all split up we can all look after ourselves with our shriveling and mists of relaire and things like that but then we can also start dropping gates around a map to sort of set up the connection great way to do it uh, it's yet to work so far in one scenario we've played one open gate across the six copies <laughs> yeah that's, that's the we problem we like opened a gate to nowhere yeah. the problem
2: is like no investigator can really invest the money and the time to do that but norman is is the only one that can because yeah. it's, it's all the free. discount
0: yeah yeah that's really i think if you
2: see it early you like drop it wherever you are and then you just keep playing and then the second one comes Mm -hmm. up you drop it that's almost always going to have value in some way
0: yeah and he could be using mr rook to search his deck for what he needs or no stone unturned to find the other copies of open gate if he needs them absolutely yeah it's pretty
2: cool absolutely that's pretty cool run it run it tell me how it is
0: Yeah. Right, well, you now have the podcast drawn to the flame. We resign. We (laughs) hand over creative control to you. And yeah. Cool. Well, I think we're reaching the end of the episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. Is there anything you'd like to shout out or advertise before we finish up? Team Covenant related? Oh, absolutely.
2: Um, I'll start by uh, just reiterating that the tier three emergency cache does not add ammo two weapons, which is heartbreaking now because I thought it was the best deal in Arkham, and it turns out that I was just sorely mistaken on that. I I would just say uh, to all the Arkham community, Arkham players, Arkham fans, um, this is one of the longest standing and most I won't say wholesome because that's a weird connotation, but it's just a a great community of people, um, continues to be so. And, you know, I'm, I'm an Arkham fan myself. So like I'm in all the different pockets of, uh, you know, occasionally listening to podcasts like yours and sometimes Mythos Busters, but don't tell them. Um, (laughs) following the, following the subreddit. I'm
0: editing that bit out.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I'm locked in. I kind of keep an eye on the Facebook groups and the, and the subreddit and all of that. And it's just, it's nice to be around people who genuinely love the game and are interested in in having a great time together, uh, and that's great to see. I'd also... Anyone who's subscribed to Arkham through us, uh huge thank you to all of you. There's a, a good number of you I know uh, out there and hopefully listening to this podcast, so um, thanks for that. And if you want to subscribe to Arkham or Marvel Champions or... Uh, any of these FFG games, um, and even like Pokemon, we've got all sorts of subscriptions available. We've been working on the service for six years. It's honed to a really nice place, uh, and we've invested tons and tons of cash into making that happen. So um, it's all to deliver the best experience possible for players of these games. And if you'd like to know more, teamcovenant.com is our website. Basically, you can subscribe to any releases that you want. So that's like uh, in Arkham, you can do the deluxe expansions only, or you could do deluxe expansions in Mythos packs, or whatever, however you want to slice it, including novellas and scenarios which are notoriously just dropping randomly and yeah. with mm-hmm. no yeah. rhyme or reason. Um, I like hinge able... afterwards as well. So if you, if oh you see that people
1: just buy them. <laughs>
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, so we've been, aside from DeepGate, which was a really a, a giant uh, flare up on our end and really, um, you know, we, we went to the mat uh, on that one. We actually delivered on that DeepGate subscription, I think like a year and a half later when we finally wow. got supply. So we were basically like, hey, here's the deal. This has gotten allocated. It's It's never happened to us before. This is the, the scenario. If you want to try to find it elsewhere, let us know. We'll refund you. Otherwise, you can stay in the queue. And there's a decent number of people that just stayed in the queue for like a year and a half. And we were able to finally send in that book when it came back in like forever ago, um, forever later. Not I to say.
0: trivialize that, but was that because you were hoarding copies of Deep Game because <laughs> no. of how much you love science?
2: Not at all. In fact, the, the, the saddest story of all here is that I think I had to go on a competitor's website to buy my no. own copy of Deepgate because we didn't have any, and obviously we're going to send them to subscribers before any of us get a, a copy. Um, so I actually did that, and that's how I got to play Silas.
0: And still to this day, we we won't tell Zach that.
2: You yeah, did that. and I'm still waiting for that harpoon and net, and they just won't put it out. It's driving me insane. <laughs> I want to know what it does. It's got to be the evade, and then if they're exhausted, you get to do extra damage with the spear. But that's a different time. So yeah. So if you want to subscribe, that's uh, we we take that very seriously. We care a lot about. Uh, Subscribers, and if you don't have a local store that cares, if you don't have an online store that cares, or that's just one of these faceless, you know, deep discount people, you can help us in what we're doing, and uh, and get your products automatically, and we almost always get them there to you on release day, at least in the states, uh, because we ship them early so that they'll arrive on the on the release day. So we're trying to make it as good as we can for everybody in this space, and we'll continue to do so.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much for all you do. Uh, You can also get in touch with us. We're Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. We're Drawn to the Flame on Twitter and Facebook. We're also on Patreon and you can also buy Drawn to the Flame merchandise on Designed by Humans. So just go and search for Drawn to the Flame on there. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I
1: am United Everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. So I'm on uh, Twitter and Reddit and Discord and various other places. How about you, Frank? I'm FB on Twitter. That's EPH underscore BEE. And then I'm around the
0: places, Zui Glass or Zozo. And that brings us to the end. Thanks very much, Stephen. Thank you so much. It's been great.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. It's uh, a real pleasure.